a young man wrote a letter to his girlfriend. And he said this, My love, if this world was as hot as the Sahara Desert, I would crawl on my knees through the burning sand to come to you. If the world was like the Atlantic Ocean, I would swim through shark-infested waters just to be with you. I would fight the fiercest dragon just to be by your side. With all my love. P.S. I'll see you on Thursday. As long as it's not raining. (laughs) Would you be impressed? Don't think so. I think we all know that it's relatively easy to declare our undying love in the hypothetical situations. But what really tests our love is what we're going to do in the everyday in our everyday lives when we're faced with everyday situations. And I think it's the same when it comes to our relationship with God. Sometimes when we're at church at Sundays, through the songs or through the prayers, we declare our longing for God, our total commitment to Him, and our faithful love for Him. And that's good, and it's important, and it's right. But our problem is that when we get into the rest of the week, with all of its demands, all of its busyness, all of its challenges, it's just so easy for that commitment just to kind of disappear. And us just to live just like everybody else in this world. Just living for ourselves and for what we want. But Peter doesn't want us to be like that. As he continued his letter, 1 Peter, 1 Peter, he called us to be committed to live out every day the reality of our identity as God's people. As God's holy people. So we're going to read in 1 Peter chapter 1 still. Sorry for those who are desperate to get on to chapter 2, but we're still in chapter 1. And we're reading from verse 13, just down to verse 16 this morning. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Peter started this section with the word, therefore. And that's a really important word. If you ever see that in a, in a passage of the Bible, don't just kind of rush over onto what's said. You need to recognize and, and understand what that's there for. Because it points back to what Peter has just written about, about the amazing blessings and the gifts that we have from God. Over the past week, few weeks, we've looked at these and been reminded that even though we cannot see Jesus, if we'll put our faith in Him, then we've been chosen by the Father. 
We've been sanctified by the Spirit. We've been born again into this living hope through the finished work of Christ. And so we have a guaranteed inheritance. And a complete security in God's hands. And we have an indestructible joy. A joy that's not just based on the salvation that is to come. But one that's also based on our personal experience of God's love and God's peace and His power to live in our lives right now. And Peter has told us that we have all of that because of God's grace and because of God's mercy. It is a totally free gift that we just simply need to receive through faith in Christ. But the thing is that some people, they hear all of that. They hear the message of God's grace and they respond by saying, well, if that's the case, then it doesn't matter how I'm going to live. If our identity and our salvation and our security are all a gift of God's grace, then we can just live any old way we want. Because it doesn't make a difference. But Peter totally disagrees with that kind of thinking. He knew that our experience of the miracle of God's grace should change, should transform our lives. He understood that if we receive this new beginning through God's grace, then our lives should never be the same again. So what he's describing here is not how to become part of God's family, but rather how we should live because we already are God's family. And he started off by saying this, prepare your minds for action. We've seen a couple of times already in in Peter's letter that he takes Old Testament images or ideas that were applied initially to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and he applies them to these Christians, even although they were Gentiles, they were non-Jews. And this is what he's doing here. He's emphasizing how, that even though they're not belonging to the nation of Israel, so they weren't part of that group who were called God's chosen people, then they really are God's chosen people because of what Jesus has done in in their life. And so this is what Peter is doing here. The, The literal translation of what Peter says here is this phrase, gird up your loins. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that before. It's not something we talk about very often, is it? Go on, gird up your loins. Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? And that's because of the clothes that we wear. Because in an age when people wore big, long robes, then if you were going to do something that required a bit of effort to get up and go for it, then you would grab all of that extra material and you would take it up and you would gather it all up and you would tuck it into your belt. You would gird up your loins so you could go for a run. Sorry? Now, there's no need for that, Claire. We can run in our kilts, that's okay. So that's what it means, gird up your loins. So when you see prepare your minds for action, it means gird up your loins. Because Peter wanted these Christians to prepare their minds for action. 
to get ready, to gather their thoughts together so they could be prepared to live the life that God had for them. And if you go back in the Old Testament, the way that it's used is really quite interesting. The earliest mention of this is in the book of Exodus, where God was telling the people of Israel how to prepare for the the Passover meal. Remember the meal that they had just before they left Egypt, where they were slaves for, for all those hundreds of years, and then it was going to be rescued out of Egypt. So in Exodus chapter 12, God says to them, this is how you eat it, with your cloak tucked in your belt, with your loins girded, as it says in the original, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now this is all about getting ready to leave. They had to eat like this because although they were still living in slavery at that moment in time when they were eating that meal, that night God was going to rescue them and take them ultimately to the promised land. That was the night that God was going to take them out. So they to be fully dressed, their loins girded, shoes on their feet, staff in their hand, bags packed, ready to go. They were to know that although they didn't, even although they didn't belong to the nation, to the, to the land of Egypt, God was going to take them. God was taking them and they were leaving very soon for home. And this is the picture that I think Peter wants us to to grab hold of for ourselves. Although we are still living in this sin-cursed and fallen world, we are strangers in this world, we are exiles in this world because we don't really belong here. Jesus is coming back. He's taking us to heaven. He's taking us home. So we need to gird up our loins. We need to get ready for action. We need to prepare our minds to leave for home. This is how Paul put it. He used a different kind of idea, but it's the same kind of thing, I think, he's saying. Colossians chapter 3. Set your minds on things above. Set your focus, your mind on things above. Not on earthly things. Have your mind focused on eternity with God. Because that will change how you live. Heard about a guy called Dr. Dehan. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but you've probably heard of the Our Daily Bread booklets. You know, the little daily reading booklets that, that some of you have had, or maybe you use. In 1938, Dr. Dehan founded the radio Bible class that produces these little daily Bible reading booklets. But in his office, he kept a two-word motto. That was to focus his heart and his mind. And it just said, perhaps today. Perhaps today. He wanted to live with the focus, with the readiness that he could realise that maybe today Jesus was coming back for him. So he wanted to live in a way that would honour the Lord because of that, with that reality. So I wonder how it would impact our lives If we lived with that reality today, if we lived ready to leave for home, 
we girded up our loins and got ready to leave every single day we were living. But there's another way that this, this phrase is used. Not just to be ready to leave, but also to be ready for service. And I think that's a good balance for us. God used this phrase when he called Jeremiah as a prophet. He said, get yourself ready. Gird up your loins. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified of them. Here, gird up your loins is a call for Jeremiah to get himself mentally prepared for the challenges ahead. To have the discipline and the courage to do whatever God was calling him to do. Jesus also used that phrase in Luke chapter 12. Verse 35, he said this, be dressed, ready for service. Exactly the same phrase, gird up your loins. Keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return. Be dressed, ready for service. Ready to go for it with God. So today, we need to gird up our loins. We need to prepare our minds for action. We need to get ourselves ready to answer our Lord's call, whatever He asks of us. Knowing that one day soon, Jesus is going to come and He's going to call us to leave for home. First of all, prepare your minds for action. Then Peter said, be self-controlled. Now that literally means to be sober. To abstain from alcohol is the literal translation of of that phrase. But I think Peter is probably generally using that in a general sense to talk about being clear-headed, to be calm, to being controlled in every aspect of our lives. (coughs) So it may apply to alcohol, but it applies to lots of other areas as well. This is the difference that Jesus made in the man from the Gerizines. Remember him about how before he met Jesus, this man had a a legion of demons within him? And he was just wild. said this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He couldn't be restrained. He couldn't be controlled. He was dangerous. He was self-destructive. But meeting Jesus changed this man. Jesus cast out that legion of demons. Sending them into a herd of pigs. So when the people of that town came out to see Jesus, it says this in Mark chapter 5, that they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. What a transformation! From being naked to being dressed. From living in tombs to sitting at the feet of Jesus. From crying out in pain to listening to the words of Jesus. From being self-destructive to being self-controlled. From pain and violence to peace and gentleness. That's a picture of the the transformation that Jesus wants to make in our lives. (coughs) 
And we need this in our lives. We need that ability to be self-controlled. To be sober-minded. To be clear-minded. Peter will later on say this in, in this letter. He says that we need this so that we can focus on prayer. He says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. When you're out of control, you cannot pray. You cannot focus on God. And we need to focus on prayer. Because Peter will also say that we're also in a fierce battle. So Peter writes in the last chapter of this letter, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our enemy is fierce. So if we want to overcome him, then we need to avoid anything that would impact our clear thinking. We need to have a clear thoughts. We need to be clear, sober-minded. We need to be able to think clearly. But even though we're in a battle, that doesn't mean that Peter wants us to live with a kind of fear and dread constantly in our lives. Even as Peter has said, even though we face lots of different kinds of trials in our lives and real grief and suffering, even again, that doesn't mean we need to feel negative or pessimistic in our lives. Instead, Peter encourages us here to set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. This actually is the fourth time that Peter has directly referred to Jesus coming back again in this letter. And we're only in chapter 1. So clearly, the return of Christ is, for, is forefront at Peter and Peter's mind. He really is thinking about the fact that Jesus is coming back again and how that should impact his life, but also how it should impact our lives. God wants us to live with that eager expectation that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to bring to fulfillment all that he has promised. To come and to bless us with all of the amazing gifts of his grace. And if we can hold on to the hope of that, then it will change how we live. It will give us resilience and courage and strength. I know a lot of people get through each week at work with the hope, with the hope of a rest at the weekend. Or a whole lot of people get through the cold days and nights of winter with the hope of being able to sit in the sun in summer. But we have a much greater hope of a better rest and a much brighter day. Because as Paul says to Timothy, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And it's with that firm expectation we can hold on. We can keep on going. We can overcome. Because we will not be defeated. We might feel like we will, but we will not be defeated. Our lives are not a slow and steady decline. Instead, we can rejoice 
that no matter who we are, but if we are in Christ, then the best is yet to come. What an amazing hope we have, guys. So let's hope, hold on to that. Let's set our hope firmly on that. And live each day in the reality of that. And that means that we should be different. Peter wrote that we should live differently from how we used to live. Don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Because before we came to Christ, we didn't know God. We didn't know Him. We didn't have the truth of His Word. We didn't have the presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we lived in ignorance. Unaware that our hearts were leading us in the wrong direction. As Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, You were dead in your transgressions and your sins. Gratifying the cravings of your sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. But trusting in Jesus has changed our lives. God has opened up our our hearts and our minds to His truth. He has rescued us from sin. And And He's come to live within us by His Holy Spirit. So how could we go back and live that old way again? As Paul writes, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That's our old life. That's the old you and me. That's not who we are today. And this means that we should live differently, not just from our past, but from the world. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This, is the, this was our focus a couple of weeks ago at our joint youth service. But it's not just young people who need to know this. We need that. We need to realize that each one of us are called to go against the flow. We're called to stand out from this world. We're called to speak and to act and to think differently from those who do not know Jesus. We're called to have different standards and different morals, different priorities, different ambitions, different goals. But that's not because we follow a set of rigid rules or regulations. This is not about being legalistic and laying down the law. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Certainly not doing it out of fear or guilt. Neither is it an attempt to become acceptable to God. Instead, Peter says that we should live differently as obedient Children. Children. It's an obedience that's supposed to flow out of who we are. It should flow out of our new identity in Christ. Out of our identity as God's children. Out of our faith in Jesus. And out of our love for Jesus. Remember Jesus said this in John chapter 14? If you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, it is love that should motivate us to live this new life.
So we should be different from this world. Different from our past. Because we are called to be holy. Called to be holy. Like God. Holiness is the essential character of God. God is holy. Means he's separate from sin. He is completely set apart from anything that is unclean. He is pure. He is blameless. He is perfect. That's what sets God apart from everyone and everything else. Remember Isaiah? Back in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and seated on his throne, he saw angelic beings, these strange six-winged angelic beings, flying and calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. A declaration of the fact that God is set apart from everything and everyone else. He is higher and greater and purer than everyone else. But Isaiah's response to this vision was to cry out, Woe to me! Woe to me! I am ruined! For I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. In the brilliance of God's holiness... Isaiah was just overwhelmed by his own guilt. His own sinfulness. His inability to come close to a holy God. Peter knew how that felt as well. Because that was Peter's first reaction when he recognised the holiness of Jesus. Do you remember when when Jesus gave him that amazing uh, catch of fish? In Luke chapter 5, filled his nets just miraculously. Peter didn't respond by saying, Oh, thanks God, that's great. I'll be able to pay pay off all my debts or I'll be able to, to bank that money. No. Instead, his response was to bow before Jesus and say, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You're higher and greater and more pure than I am. And so I could never be with you. But God's grace stepped in. And Peter's already reminded us that through our faith in Jesus, the miracle is that you and I have been made holy. We have been made holy in God's sight. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Remember that we were looking at that phrase? Through the holifying, making holy work of the Spirit. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been washed clean. We have been declared righteous in God's sight for all eternity. And so Peter is saying, guys, now live that out. Now, live this out in your everyday lives. If God has made you to be God's holy people, then just live out who you already are. This is not trying to become somebody, it's just to be entering into more and more the person that God has already made you to be. 
To reinforce this again, Peter applied an Old Testament image to these new people of God. He quoted from the book of Leviticus, Be holy, because I am holy. Be set apart, because I am set apart. The people of Israel, they belonged to God and they were called to be separate from the world because of that. So God told them, you must not do what they do in Egypt. You must not do as they do in the land of Canaan. Don't follow all of those practices. He said, you must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. And so now as Christians, we are the people of God. We are God's elect, as living as exiles, strangers in this world. So we are called to be holy. We are called to be separate from the world. We are called to be set apart from our past lives. We are called to be consecrated to God. We are called to be committed to living out His commands every day. And crucially, Peter said this, that we need to do this, in everything. Be holy in all you do. So this is not Peter calling us to get more involved in so-called holy activities. This is not about becoming more religious or getting involved in more rituals or more practices at various times of the week. It's not a call to come to church. Or to come to a Bible study now and again. That's not what Peter and Peter's mind. Neither is it about coming and getting a whole list of rules and just rigidly following them. That's not the holy life that Peter's calling us to. Nor is it about making a really costly commitment to God. To do something really impressive for God. One off, big, huge sacrifice. That's not what Peter's calling us to do. Rather, Peter is calling us to make a change in our every day. To change our heart so that every day, in everything that we do, we are living in a way that reflects God's character, God's love, God's grace. And everything that we do, we're going to honour His name. That's the life that God is calling us to. This is what Chuck Colson wrote. He said this, Holiness is the everyday business of a Christian. It evidences itself in the decisions that we make and the things we do hour by hour and day by day. So it's not like the guy at the start writing this big letter and making a huge commitment to do something impressive for the one he loves. It's about living for Jesus every day. Being different from this world. Being committed to our God. And following what he wants us to do in our lives. This is the life that we're called to. This is how we're to live out the reality of who we are as God's holy people, be ready for action because someday soon we're leaving for home. Be clear-headed so that we can pray and stand strong in the spiritual battle. Be expectant 
Because in Christ, the best has yet to come. Be different. Because as His children, God has set us free from the past and from this world. And last of all, be holy. Because God is holy. And through Jesus, He has made us His holy people.